Welcome to the 25th episode of the Cranky Flyer interview, sponsored by Ontario International Airport. This week, I was able to spend some quality time with Scott Kirby, CEO of United Airlines, when he was in Long Beach for the Apex Expo. I had to start with Omicron, of course, and you won't be surprised to know he had plenty to say about it. Scott also talked about how operational performance isn't being measured right in this industry. And we finish up by looking at the future of regionals. But before we get started, I want to thank our presenting sponsor, Ontario International Airport. ONT is excited about the strong recovery they've had in 2021, reaching 97% of pre-pandemic levels and are looking forward to growing further in 2022. For the past four years, ONT has been America's fastest growing airport as recognized by Global Traveler, with 2021 seeing new flights added to Chicago O'Hare, Honolulu, Miami, Newark, Orlando, Phoenix, Sacramento, San Francisco, and San Salvador. ONT has been a leader in keeping passengers safe during the past year and a half. This earned ONT the coveted Airport Health Accreditation by the Airports Council International. Whether it's easy parking, quick movement through their terminals, or access to great amenities, ONT makes SoCal feel so easy. Visit flyonto.com, that's flyonto.com for more information. And now, here's Scott. I guess we have to start with uh, Omicron. (laughs) So uh, you have been, uh, I'd say, about as accurately as possible predicting how this is going to go since the beginning. So I'm curious to hear your take on on Omicron and and some of the reactions from various governments and and how you view this unfolding. So uh, first, always expected there'd be more variants and it wouldn't be a straight line. Um, My guess... It's early, um, so impossible to know any of this for sure. But my guess is that Omicron is going to turn out to be highly transmissible, um, but likely no more, and probably, if anything, less virulent than um, the previous versions. That's what's, if you study the history of pandemics, that's what happens yep. um, with all of them, whether they're in humans or animals or anything else, they attenuate over time. Um we have, uh, my guess is that uh, vaccines will be at least somewhat effective uh, against it. Um, treatments will be effective, um, maybe less than they were against the others, but still effective. Um, the great news is with RNA, mRNA vaccines that they can also be re-engineered pretty quickly. Um, and, um, as, and, and so my guess is uh, also... You know, it is sometimes, it is frustrating to me that their response to this is closing borders. Um, well, this is what I was going to ask, because you see Israel shutting down everyone. You see Morocco just suspending flights. Yeah. You have everyone just punishing South Africa for doing the good work of, yeah. of actually discovering yeah. this variant. So, um, and, you know, how, how do you, from a business perspective, how do you see Well, at first it? I see it from a data science perspective. This is what's been frustrating to me as someone who does pay attention to this and who has followed the science. You know, pandemic playbook 101 is closed borders. But that is based on, that is a way to contain the, the pandemic. Right. Um, and because most infectious diseases um, are not transmissible until you're obviously sick. Um, this one was unique because it has a long incubation period, asymptomatic transfer, um, that made it unique. It means that by the time you're closing the door, the horse is out of the barn. 
Right. Omicron is everywhere in the world already. It right. is everywhere. This is just like when, you know, the first week of COVID happened and we were, or when it first showed up in Italy, um, that first week in March of 2020, um, we were sitting in Chicago and I was telling our whole team, this is a global pandemic. I don't know why everyone doesn't know it yet, but it is. Uh, the same is true of Omicron. It is already everywhere in the world and closing the borders is not going to stop it. Uh, that's why I don't, what I don't like about it is it's not an effective tool. Um, Right. It, uh, well, it's an effective tool at scaring people and preventing them from traveling. <laughs> but it's not an effective tool at preventing Omicron from showing up here in the United States. Right. For example. Um, but from a United but, perspective, what have but you so, seen so far? So all, what I think all this, we have seen, again, it's so early it's impossible to know. But my guess is this is going to have a near-term impact on demand, just like Delta did, just like the previous variants did. Um, but that this trough in demand when it falls back down, will be higher than the previous trough, which yeah. was higher than the previous trough. And we're on this general trajectory up, but it's not a straight line. It's two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. Yeah. And we're going to continue with that. And we're going to get to a point where, and I think we're getting closer already with Omicron, that the world views begins to come to grips with the fact that COVID is endemic, meaning we have to learn to live with it. Um, and just like the flu has a new variant every year, we're going to have new variants of COVID. The best way we defeat new variants of COVID, by the way, is vaccination. <laughs> right. Because the larger pool of people you have that are unvaccinated, the larger opportunities are for effective variants um, to be created uh, through evolution. Right. Um, and but, but we're still on that same general road to recovery. But, you know, we're in the one step back phase. So this will just be... Less of a knee-jerk reaction by governments, and hopefully over time we'll see... Well, hopefully, yeah, the response, even this one so far, the response, well, I would have liked to not see borders close. The response has been less than I think it was in Delta. Mm -hmm. And you just listen to some of the commentary now. There are people saying what you just said, which is, wait a second, this is punishing South Africa for doing the right thing. Yeah, um, That's a new conversation that didn't happen before. Um and it sets the stage for when, you know, if this turns out to be well, more transmissible already everywhere in the world and, you know, that the border closures weren't effective at stopping it from spreading to the rest of the world, which it won't be. Right. Um, it sets the stage for getting better answers the next time. And it, it emphasizes what is the number one tool in the toolkit, which is get everyone vaccinated. Right. Okay. Let's get everyone vaccinated. <laughs> And on that note, I do have a question on yeah. vaccines. We'll stick with United here. So uh, United obviously has, has passed the vaccination issue completely yeah. at this point. Uh, however, you know, more than half your departures, I think, are operated by carriers that don't necessarily have a vaccine mandate. Um, is that something that you are hoping to influence with your partners? or how, We are, how are we you are absolutely trying to influence it. They know we are a strong advocate for having them get vaccinated. Um, I've been an advocate with the administration uh, yeah. for requiring all large employers, airlines, whatever, to also be vaccinated. Uh, but you don't have the contractual ability to force it. And, you know, our partners um, also have other partners who have different views on vaccines, um, which yes. makes it hard. Um, so that, okay. That's we're doing right. everything we can. Okay. Everyone right. we control, we're requiring vaccines. And, and I do want to talk about the partners in, a, in another way here, kind of operationally, so away from vaccines. So I, I was looking at um, Q3 numbers for United, including 
uh, it, basically the code, right, including regionals. And so when you look, you know, you, you guys in Q3, you had a 97.5% completion. Um, you had, a, let's see, 76% A14. Uh, you know, the, these were, I mean, Delta's ahead of that. Of course, Delta's always kind of bought better performance. Uh, but even American did, did better than that. Um, On the regional. Uh, oh, no, this is uh, both oh. is combined. Yeah, mainline. Yeah, you guys were. Yeah, your your numbers are and higher. And you went by that. passengers too, which is the way well, I actually measure it. It's, it's much higher. <laughs> so there are a lot of different ways yeah, we can yeah. look at. It. And, but I mean, you avoided the meltdown. One fifty seater being delayed is not the same as a triple seven being delayed. Uh, that is very true. But <laughs> but so you've avoided the meltdowns. You're kind of in this great glow right now where it seems like United can do nothing wrong, which is a far cry from the media uh, <laughs> coverage from a few years ago. Yeah. Um, but so because of that, it gives you the opportunity to do things, get them where you want to be yeah. and, and not have to you know, have yeah. the scrutiny on you. So is this where you want the operation to be no. where it's been? So, uh, you know, our regionals is one area we've been disappointed in some of our regional partner performance. Yeah. Um, and a bunch of reasons. Um, you know, one of them, which is unique to United, was Newark, um, mm. which Newark having a single runway during the summer, yeah, meant the regionals got hammered <laughs> um, because right. if you had to, you did have to cancel flights. Um, you know, with the airport scheduled for more flights than they could operate, right? We were on a single runway, um, uh, but you know, like if you look at the last few weeks, what we've done is we just pulled down the regional flying. Um, the, the regionals, the regionals don't have enough pilots. Um, right. and that's not getting any better. So we're just cutting the flying. Um, that's why we pulled out of 11 or 12 cities. Um, and right. you know, we're, we're not gonna let our, you know, during the middle of COVID during the middle of, um, the newer construction, not really clear what all the issues were, um, lots of uncertainty. Um, but you know, we'll ultimately decide we're just going to pull down the flying. We're going to match the flying to whatever they can operate. So do you have a, a, a public facing goal or a place you want to be operationally, or is that more just internal goals that you, uh, we have a lot of internal goals. Yeah. Um, our internal goals, by the way, are different metrics than what you use. Um, one of the things oh, that, sure. <laughs> that I think, um, United has done smartly, which is leading to different decisions. Instead of focusing on the same thing that people focused on. Well, I didn't mention D zero, I should well, say. I, so. <laughs> but, or even completion factors. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we've done, um, is when there's a bad weather coming, a couple of, as an example, two, two, three days in advance, we'll go out, you know, if we've got a forecast of bad weather at Newark. Yeah. We'll go out and identify flights where we can accommodate all the customers within a couple of hours um, from that flight. And we'll prune the schedule two days in advance. Sometimes the weather turns out to be fine, and we wouldn't have had to do that. Right. But what it does is it avoids a meltdown. So we take a right. little bit of medicine. It's like taking a vaccine. Right. <laughs> you might right. get a little, you might have a short shoulder, um, but you avoid catastrophe. Um, and that, that's one example, even, even for a completion factor, where we're measuring it differently. Um, we're measuring, you know, customer D zero instead of D zero, which gets you to a different right. answer, a different denominator. Well, um, sure. And, and that's why or, I look at something like a 14, where there's a little more of that buffer in there. Cause D zero obviously is very rigid. Well, but even a 14, we measure customer a 14 instead of yeah, but I don't airplane. Have I know you don't, but, but <laughs> I'm just saying we met, we have, but, and you know, like, so we just did our, uh, yesterday, um, Thanksgiving, Report, you know, on how we did. Yeah. Like everything was a metric. Uh, almost everything was a total record, except yeah. Yeah. A14 was the second best year in our history. 
completion factor tied for the second best. So those were good, um, but they weren't number one. But our NPS scores off the charts good. Our um, mishandled baggage rate down something like sixty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, our misconnected customers down over fifty percent. Uh, denied boardings down over ninety percent compared to two thousand nineteen, and probably ninety nine percent compared to two thousand sixteen. So they're more customer oriented metrics. Um, and we, we've got something called the irregular operations index, which sort of an hour delay is like instead of just being one delay. This is a problem with the way you typically airlines measure. Right. If they've got a choice, you know, if you're going to measure people based on D zero or A A zero or A fourteen. And you got a choice of I can make this one flight three hours late, or I can make ten flights ten minutes late. You pick that one um, to but, do that. Um, but it might be better to make five flights ten minutes late, uh, which isn't that big. You know, our metric, our numbers for customers if a flight is ten minutes late are not that different. But a three hour late flight is dramatically different. Right, you're missing customers. connections. You're missing, you're missing connections. You know, it, it's it's dramatic. You know, you go. You know, and, and, but if you're measuring just the metal, you make a different decision. But yeah. if you're measuring the customer, that customer impact, it's saying that three hour delay is, you know, a lot worse than a few 10 minute delays. You make, you wind up making different decisions. And so we're, you know, our team gets frustrated, like reading sometimes some of the, because every, all the reporting is about things that you have access right. to. Of yeah. course, for you and everyone else. Not I'd be happy to get your internal uh, data but, anytime. <laughs> but what we're mostly looking at is like, what are our customers telling us? What are our MPS scores? Right. And, and they're so much more correlated to the measures that we're, you know, first bag to claim. You know, during the holidays, um, our, our metric is within 25 minutes. Yeah. Some airports, that's tough. You know, a place like Denver, because you've got to get all the way out. 80, over 89% of the flights on the day after Thanksgiving, right. first bag to claim in less than 25 minutes. Um, those are the kind of metrics that, that we're focused You don't have access to them, yeah. <laughs> but those are the ones that we're focused on. Um, and it's okay. just completely, it's, it's completely different than what others. Um, yeah. This is, this is a, I mean, I guess this is not the first time you've really tried to shift the mindset there because you did the whole thing getting getting rid of delay codes or working toward that and all they're, that. They're all, it's the same thing. I mean, this must be a challenge I'm, to shift. It's not. People love it. It's not. It's, it's the opposite of a challenge. Really? They're just, they're just waiting well, for someone there to... there are people in leadership yeah. who required a little Yeah, okay. Nudge. <laughs> um, uh, I wanted to do this when I was in America, and people in leadership were like, oh, I can't do that. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and... Um, so people, but the front line employees, absolutely, and, and it's, it's it's a part of like this is why it's the culture change. The, 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 like the number of times I hear from customers um, how different their interactions are with employees, how much better they feel, yeah. it's striking. But it's because like if you're a gate agent and you've been spending your career slamming the door in people's faces, like, and then somebody tells you from your management team, we want you to do the right thing for the customers, care about the customer, whatever words they use. You're like, you're full of it. Yeah. And right. you were full of it. They were full it's of true. it. It's true. And their their primary goal is to get yelled at less. Yeah. <laughs> and, and but but once they feel like you give it or you want water? I'm all right, thanks. Um, somebody sits in a meeting for three hours fighting about who gets blamed for the one minute delay on D zero. Right. Um and then tell them to take credit cut. It's like Everything about the culture is wrong. People now feel like I'm not going to get in trouble if I do the right thing for the customer. Yeah, they feel empowered to do the right thing for the customer, and that's what they want to do. They're people, people, 
They want to take care of the customer. They want sure. to do the right thing. Well, they would, if they if they don't, they're probably in the wrong jobs. So. Yeah, and they don't last very long in right. airline because that's what almost everyone wants to do. We put we executives put all these rules in place that make it impossible for them to do the right thing for customers yeah. instead of trusting them to just do the right thing. And I guess you, you, I mean, this is a way that you also can kind of control what happens with the regionals to some extent as well by creating these systems because you know the ten yeah. minute delay you're impacting if a regional. Yeah. As well. I mean, you can't control the SkyWest's computers unplugged or whatever yeah. it was. But, I mean, does that ever make you nervous about making proclamations about, you know, not melting down and things when it just I, I, is what I it go, is? I go with the more with the – I believe in self-fulfilling prophecies. Okay. Um, and I go with the Joe Namath school that if you say, I'm going to win the Super Bowl, it makes it more likely you're going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I, I, I want to talk a little bit more about regionals here before we run out of time here because you guys have been pretty forward thinking about what that looks like down the line. You, you've ordered that 19-seater out of Sweden, um, assuming it gets made and is up to your specifications. I think it will, actually. Well, I mean, eventually, right? Yeah. Um, but you have that. You, you have the VTOL stuff. You, you've got yeah. landline today. Yeah. Uh, you know, how you view regionals, it seems like it's different than just this, okay, here's what's there today. We can order these yeah. two airplanes. So what is the long-term vision for regionals at United? So uh, a lot of it is going to – first it starts with what's the right thing to do for customers. Um, and there are going to be fewer and fewer markets that look like a traditional regional market. Um, it's the reason we did the 550. Um, right. You know that what we want is is customers that um, are flying United because they have loyalty to United. They have loyalty because of the product, not just because of the schedule, but because of the product and because they believe in it. Um, so why we built the put the five fifty in? It's why you know the five hundred aircraft order two to three hundred of those are going to ultimately replace. It'll be a chain event, but we'll have two to three hundred fewer fifty seaters flying right. around. Um, and there are fewer and fewer markets for which regional airlines are going to work because as soon as a low-cost carrier goes in and cuts the prices in half, the break-even load factor on a regional becomes 160%. <laughs> right. They're just not going to work. So there's going to be fewer and fewer markets. Um, so starting from the customers, number one. And the second uh, element is creating the right pilot pipeline. People have talked for a decade about a pilot shortage. It's actually here. Yeah. Um, finally. Um, yeah. And we started with Aviate, and that's sort of – and it's coming faster because of COVID than we would than we were expecting and planning for. Yeah. Um, but ultimately having a pipeline where we take people – they may not have any flying experience at all, but great people, customer service mentality, want to do the right thing, want a great career. We send them to school in Phoenix, um, you know, to get trained to be a pilot. We have a pipeline, you know, whether it's 19-seat right. <laughs> airplane. You know, we have a pipeline to let them get the experience they need to ultimately fly a wide-body jet and retire, you know, flying a wide-body captain at United Airlines flying a wide-body So you just body. want to have the flow through. So it's, yeah, it's, it's creating a um, ecosystem for customers first, pilots second. But, you know, for something like that, um, I mean, it takes time to ramp up, I suppose. But It does. Uh, but... You know, is it still the model of working with regional partners? Is this the the kind of thing that it makes I'm agnostic sense? about that. Okay, it, that's why I start with it's doing what's good for the, putting the right airplane on for customers, right. and secondly, about creating the ecosystem for pilots. How that gets done is just the tactics. Doesn't the matter. strategy are those two things. The tactics doesn't matter. Are not that relevant. 
But you see a place for a 19-seater where you've got a pilot that, you know, it, it may be a challenge today to justify something like yeah. that to, to make the economics work. Yeah. But you, you think that that shifts And, and it won't be future. in every market. You know, we're no. not going to fly them in Newark because um, slots. Right. But, you know, a place like Denver, um, you know, there's look at all the small communities around mm-hmm. Denver for which a 19-seater airplane, electric airplane would be perfect. Um uh, as long as that guy can get above the Rockies. <laughs> well, I don't think that's an issue on, on the electric. Airplanes. Yeah. Um, and, uh, um, and, and in fact, I think it probably winds up being like all turboprops easier to, easier and safer to get in and out of mountain airports with that airplane. Um, just yeah. easier than on a jet airplane. Yeah. Um, so the 19 seater is more about adding new markets to the network. It, it's adding new markets. It's about, it's also about the other thing that we're doing with electric aircraft is trying to be on the leading edge of technology without necessarily knowing what the answer is. Yeah. That, that's one of these that's different about us. We don't have to know the exact answer, but we're going to start the journey, it's, a, it's the right direction to go. We're going to start right. without knowing exactly, 100% sure that that's, it may, being flexible to switch, you know, to modify the direction a little bit, um, you know, based on what we learn, what gets developed. Um, but to be in the mix and to be part of developing the leading edge technology, help influence what it shapes, what it ultimately looks like and becomes. And this is the same kind of thing with supersonic, I suppose. Well, with supersonic, probably it's the same kind of thing with vaccine requirement. Right. Same kind of thing with still no delay codes. Like it's the same, it's the culture. It is always great talking to Scott. He does not beat around the bush. Now, before we go, I want to again thank Ontario International Airport for being our presenting sponsor. Remember, whether it's easy parking, quick movement through their terminals, or access to great amenities, ONT makes SoCal feel so easy. Visit flyonto.com for more information. That's all for now. Until next time.